The Tale of the Seven Keys. Chapter One. Long ago, in a far-off kingdom, lived the daughter of a brave knight. The knight had always wanted a son to whom he might pass on his skills. So, while father and daughter loved one another, she often felt herself a disappointment to him. One day, a witch kidnapped the knight. The daughter pleaded with her to return him. The witch said no, but he could be rescued if the girl could complete a quest. There are seven keys, said the witch. Find them and you can open your father's prison, the castle at the end of the world. The witch told the daughter the first key was to be found on an island beyond her kingdom. So she sailed past the outer islands. And while the voyage was treacherous, her destination was more so, for nothing was as it seemed on After Island. All right. Welcome to Physical Kids Weekly, episode 302, Heroes and Morons. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we are joined by the lovely Brittany Curran, who plays Fen. Welcome, Brittany. Thanks, guys. I love being back. <laughs> Well, I am so happy to have you here because last time we talked, Fen was still very new in the show. And I know there were a lot of fans, especially book fans, who struggled with the fact that like Elliot had been forced into this marriage with her. Uh, but I definitely see that turning around. And now when we hear from fans about Fens, it's just like a total love fest. And um, in fact, when we put out the call for questions on this episode, we got almost three times as many as we have for any other interview we have ever done. And I think that's a testament to you and how much humanity and empathy you bring to this role. So I'm really excited to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited too. Yeah, I love the journey the writers took Fen on. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it seems like she's going to be going on a really cool journey, uh, literally and figuratively, this season too. Um, so <laughs> So, Danny, um, I, I, I'm giving Danny the listener questions, and I'm sorry if we didn't get to yours. As, as I mentioned, we got like something approaching 15 or 20 questions, and we definitely can't get all of them. Um, but yeah, I'm going to let Danny start with the ones that we were able to get to. Awesome. Okay, so the first one is actually two. Uh, the first part comes from Elliot, who asks, how has Fen dealt with the emotional turmoil she's had to face this last season? And the second part comes from Freya. Is this really a Freya? <laughs> yeah, her name's really Freya. I know. We have Elliot and Freya giving questions in this episode. <laughs> um, does Fen ever regret her choice to abandon the Foo Fighters and try to create a workable partnership with Elliot? So to answer the first part of the question, um, the fact that I am cradling a log uh, at the beginning of episode one, I think answers that. Uh, Fen not dealing with it well, <laughs> understandably. And for anyone who was wondering why I am cradling a log, it's because of all the horrible trauma and kidnapping and <laughs> where my daughter is that I have now suffered a considerable amount of PSD and trauma and I'm now are in a deep state of psychosis and am, quote, dealing with it by uh, treating this log as my baby. It's like the fill-in for my child that is currently in the fairy realm and <laughs> unknown, unknown parts. So, yeah, no, Fen is not, is not handling it well <laughs> at all, uh, which I think is pretty understandable. And yeah. it was certainly interesting to play with. And then... Second part of the question, oh, yeah, with Fen, how she feels about leaving the Foo Fighters. Yeah, well, the whole reason why Fen joined up with the Foo Fighters was because her whole goal is just to do what's right for Fillory. So if being with the Foo Fighters is no longer the best thing for Fillory, then her allegiance lies with Fillory first and foremost. And so when Elliot starts to become a better ruler and she, she realizes that she can trust him, uh, that's when she... Um, her allegiances to Elliot. But I mean, just to make it clear, like Fen was never actually, the Foo Fighters were a thing from her past. So she was never actually 
involved with Baylor, the Foo Fighter, which actually with Philorian roles, you can't be anyways. Mm-hmm. But that the Foo Fighters were very much in her past. And then once she married uh, Elliot and came into the kingdom, she was 100% there and a part of that. And so, no, I don't think it was hard for her. I think she just knew that was her duty and that's what she had to do. Did I answer? I feel like there was another part to that. Oh, I think she asked if, if Fen ever regrets that now. Regrets being a Foo Fighter? Uh, being with Elliot and trying to be his partner. Oh, well, I mean, I think Elliot's been a pretty uh, horrendous husband. So I think <laughs> there's definitely that minor fact. Um, but again, Fen comes from this archaic society of an arranged marriage that she never questioned and doing what's right for Fillory. So I think now that she's starting to get a little bit more empowered, she re- she realizes that she was... Because, you know, at the beginning of the season two, Elliot acts like he's the only one that was forced into the yeah. arrangement. But I think it's easy to forget that Fen was just as forced into the marriage yeah. as Elliot was. Um, she just took the news a little bit uh, a little bit better because she had been preparing for it for her whole life. Um but, I mean, of course I think she regrets it, but on the other hand, it's what was best for Fillory, having a Florian in the court, and, like, she loves her child, even though obviously isn't around. Sorry, that was, like, a really big general No, question. I get it. She has complicated feelings. I think that makes sense. She's definitely complicated feelings, but whatever's good for Fillory, that's where Fen's at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, you can tell that Fen, like, she doesn't necessarily, like love Elliot, but she believes in Elliot as a king, and I think that's why she supports him, and you can also tell with the rest of, like, the royal court that, like, they also support Elliot and and Margot now, like, they believe they have what it takes to be leaders. Definitely. They're getting there anyway. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, no, I think Ben definitely sees that, and that's why she sacrifices her own personal feelings and actually knowing that Elliot doesn't love her. At least I don't think he does. Uh, I think she sacrifices, you know, having a marriage with love uh, for the good of Hillary. She's a better person than I am. I'd be the heck out of there. <laughs> I love to goodbye. We need to get her some Roxanne Gay. <laughs> I think Elliot definitely cares about her. I, yeah, I don't think he's in love with her, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he cares about her in his own way. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know whenever Elliot does something bad, like another bad thing to her, I just get so mad about it. <laughs> so <laughs> I take Fen so personally. It's probably not healthy for my own psyche in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think it's probably why people are people gravitate to, toward her so much. It's it's so nice to see that investment and to see you really defend her. And like, <laughs> I I really like when you said that to us the first time about um, how she is also forced into this arranged marriage. I thought that is such a important like feminist statement to to just like point out that she is right. Like she's part of she's been put upon too. It's not just something that she's doing to Elliot. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, no, exactly. Totally. Yeah, I think it's so easy to, to overlook that. I'm like, all of a sudden I thought, wait, no, Fen is just as much in this <laughs> in this forced marriage, except Elliot can go back to Earth and, you know, be with other people, and Fen stays in Fillory and yeah. just does her, her wifely duty. Yeah. All right, Danny, should we move to the next question? Yeah. Um, we're going to combine a few listener questions for this next one, too. Shout-outs to Michelle and Gabriel. Uh, has Fen completely lost her shit, or is there something else going on? Yes, Fen has completely lost her shit. <laughs> <laughs> there might be other things going on, but Fen has definitely broken from reality. Yes. There were some interesting <laughs> yeah. theories around this that people put in their questions. I don't remember whose is whose, but like somebody thought maybe she's under some spell. Somebody thought she was scheming with the fairies in order to get her daughter back. Um, there were some like really interesting ideas people had about like maybe she's just pretending. Yeah, no, people are clever. People come up with really good things, and sometimes people are absolutely right. Um, but I also think by saying that she really has lost it doesn't take away from other things yeah. that might 
happen. But no, I can say that she's definitely lost her mind. (laughs) 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 Okay, so how do you approach material like that where you have to play a character who has, in key ways, lost touch with reality? What do you draw from? Approaching somebody that's completely lost touch with reality is definitely different than approaching any other type of thing. Um, And it's funny because in my career, I play a lot of really horribly bitchy people and also really crazy people, which are two different things. But like Mm -hmm. I've played these extreme things a lot. So I don't know to play somebody that is having a psychotic break is, is, is an adventure in and of itself. So the way I approached it was I called up my real therapist in in LA. We film in Vancouver Mm -hmm. and I thought, why not approach it from a completely human standpoint And so I called up uh, my therapist and I said, Hey, there's this thing I want to do. I don't know if this is, if you'd be comfortable, but could we have a Skype therapy session and we'll do the session for Fen though, instead of me, instead of doing a regular Britney one. Oh my God. That's so cool. (laughs) Actually, that sounds really interesting. Um, And it's funny because one of the things that she specializes in coincidentally is PTSD and that's one of the things that Fen is really going through. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. I already love this woman. And she has, you know, a degree in this thing. And so we had this therapy session and we just like dove into Fen's psychosis and the fact that she's probably going through um, postpartum psychosis and all mm. of these different things that are really serious um, really, really tough issues. And of course, like on the show, it's a little elevated, you know, like my the psychosis is a little elevated. Um, but I still wanted to come from, I wanted the core to come from a place of truth. Yeah. And, and it was really amazing and really devastating to explore like the women, I mean, men too, but women with the postpartum part that have gone through this type of thing. Cause it's really, really, really rough. And it's, it's hard. I mean, I obviously can't fully understand it unless I've actually gone through it. But um, studying it and researching it was, was it was fun, actually, to, to look at that side of human behavior. I have to say, I felt like your performance in this, ex- in this episode was so excellent. And, like, your facial expressions were arresting, especially in that scene where... Uh, where Freya gets in- or where Freya gets introduced, I'm going to keep calling her Freya because we had that fan <laughs> right in, uh, where she's introduced and you sort of go from being like cradling the log baby, um, which we definitely have to get back to that because I loved that <laughs> Twin Peaks reference. It's so perfect. <laughs> um, to and, and like being a little on the, like being out of touch with reality, but still like in a nuanced way, like you can see this, you can see the fragility in that with her. It's not just played for laughs to uh, really asserting herself to like tell Elliot, like, no, you don't get to make all the decisions. This is a thing that I need to do where she really does seem self-assured to like suddenly Frey is there. And it just like, I I can't imagine what somebody would be going through in that moment, uh, seeing their daughter who they thought they'd lost forever suddenly returning having grown up and like telling her to her face like I don't care about you at all right like so much in there and you can really see it in your performance it was great thanks yeah that was such an interesting scene and yeah like Fen has these she's lost it but then she has these moments of uh lucidity when she in this first season I mean the first episode brings up the, uh, the mudjack the boat and then like saying to Elliot no I am going on this mm. journey. I was the one that knows about the mud. I was the one that knew about the mud jack and asserted that. And I am going like, I'm not just like your little wife prop. I'm a person. No. And so I was so glad that she finally stood up to him, um, for him to like acknowledge that she's a human. Yeah. Too, you know, and then not realizing if she's been dead, not yeah. re- Thing. And then, like, the joy of, like, realizing that she's alive, but then also that loss of, you know, 16 or many years have gone by. So I've lost all these years, but I've gained this life. And then she doesn't care about me. Although, at that point, I don't think Fen gives a crap about that because she just has yeah. a And, like, in perspective, whatever. Who cares if she's not happy about me? I just have my daughter back. And so, yeah, that was fun. And then Ma- Madeline Arthur, who plays um, mine and El- uh, <laughs> mine and Hale's daughter. Oh my god, I love this girl so much. 
uh, Hale and I have just become obsessed with her. We call her our daughter in real life. <laughs> and we are like vying for her affection at all times. And <laughs> we're so proud of her in real life. She's like this successful young actress and we've just fallen in love with her. And we're like, when both of us have real children in real life, they're never going to measure up to you, Madeline. <laughs> and so anyways, what I'm saying is we've taken our characters really serious this year. With <laughs> Ray, really. <laughs> she looks so actually oh fairy like so <laughs> doesn't she and she looks yeah. like totally be our kid too i was like this is a really good casting <laughs> yeah is. she has like the the coloring sort of of, of uh hale's eyes but like they're big like yours it's she has like that it's crazy <laughs> perfect match and she does look she's very ethereal looking and she's like yeah. this beautiful like otherworldly young woman and i got I, I just love her she's my daughter and i love her <laughs> <laughs> okay so so back to your other baby back to the log oh yeah <laughs> yeah what was yeah what was your reaction to the log baby oh my god i thought it was the funniest thing ever when i read the script um <laughs> actually this is, gonna, this is this is gonna make me sound like i've lost it i actually got attached to the log <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that whole first, like, episode and a half, at first I was like, okay, as an acting exercise, I'm just going to hold on to the log all day. But then I really got attached to the log. And then, like, partway through one of the days, I had to call my bank about some, you know, thing, some some real-life annoying thing. But I was holding my log the whole time. So I'm, like, sitting <laughs> back and forth on the stage for, like, 30 minutes cradling my log like having a real <laughs> bank conversation and people are just watching me cradling this log and refusing to put it down and then so i'm becoming attached to it and then at one point i had to like put another outfit on and so one of the wardrobe um ladies had to take the log from me but then she like flipped it upside down and i really was like oh no that's, that's not good. <laughs> but then i didn't want to say anything because i'd sound insane so I was just there looking at my log being upside down and it was really a little painful. And then I got my robe on and I like took the log right away. <laughs> um, oh my God. That's a great story. I, really I tried to take the log home with me too at the end of the night, but the, the pro I was Dean or Rosie. One of our prop guys was like, no, that's a pretty important log. We have to keep it. And I was like, all right, all right. But <laughs> Did you get the log back at the end of the season? No, I didn't because with it, I guess with a prop that that's important, they have to keep, hold on to like just just in case something happens. I don't know, but I didn't take it. I wanted to. Oh uh -huh. well, I, I hope they hang on to it. And you get to keep it at the end of the show. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> I would so keep that log. I love that log. Uh -huh. <laughs> um. So, does the log have a name? This was a question from Logan, by the way. Though we wonder as well. That's right. Um. You know, I, the log actually didn't have a name. I, and I'm like obsessed with baby Groot in real life. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was imagining that the log was baby Groot the whole time. <laughs> so I guess the log's name is baby Groot, but <laughs> I didn't actually know other than baby Groot. I never actually assigned and I should have, I should have assigned it. No, we'll say baby Groot is the log's name. It's appropriate, <laughs> right? Like Groot is a tree. Exactly. <laughs> Groot is a special little angel who I love, and so is my log. I, I love Groot, especially Brittany. baby Groot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Baby so then the other thing I have to ask is, uh, are you a Twin Peaks fan? Did you, did you, like, know what this meant when you saw it? You know what's funny is I actually, coincidentally, started watching Twin Peaks this season. Uh, it, was, it became my treadmill show. So when I was on the treadmill... Mm -hmm. I would start watching Twin Peaks uh, each night that I would go and work out, but I never, I didn't get very far. So I never got to the log lady part. So I do love Twin Peaks, but I didn't get far at all. So somebody else had to tell me about it. And now I know what it is, but I thought the reference was hilarious, but I didn't know immediately. No, I wish I had. Oh, uh, well, you, sh you should go back and watch it. Catherine Coulson. I, I don't know how much of the story, you know, but Catherine Coulson, who played the log lady, she, she died a couple years ago from cancer. So she filmed all of the new season while she was dying. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so like she's, uh, I, I don't remember if she's holding the log in the new season. She's the one on the phone with um, Hawk 
uh, at a couple in a couple of moments. But yeah, like this was. I went. I went to a panel last night at SF Sketchfest for Twin Peaks. I did oh. that, and we went to Rachel Bloom. And I don't know which one was better. They were both fantastic. Um, but uh, they were talking about how like she she wanted to do this as her way of saying goodbye, and how they chose um, how they chose Hawk to be the one who she spoke through and like said her goodbyes through, both as like kind of the character and as the person. It's oh wow, <laughs> my God, that's. I mean, that's incredible. What an amazing outlet for something like that. But I can't even imagine going through that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's part of why I, I love this so much is that it's, uh, it feels like a tribute to her. It's yeah. this iconic moment. But also I think there's a, I think there's a connection there. Like we don't know what the log lady has gone through in Twin Peaks that causes her to carry that log around, but there's a, a reasonable interpretation that there's some kind of PTSD. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now on to something. Move on to our last question. Yeah, which is completely different in tone. <laughs> okay, so our last question is about Cheetos. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, I like this question. <laughs> okay, so Logan wants to know what are your favorite kind of Cheetos, and if Fen were to go to Earth this season, what kind would she choose? First of all, excellent question. Uh, I saw this question on Twitter, and I was already planning on answering it, whether you asked me or not. <laughs> So I'm glad it was already in the lineup. My favorite Cheetos are the crunchy jalapeno Cheetos. Yes. They <laughs> are, uh, oh my God. They're just, they're a gift. They're so them. good. <laughs> but I also love, I love the, uh, the puffy swirl Cheetos, but you don't, I haven't seen them in a store for like the past decade. And they were the twisty. They were the regular puffy ones, just the plain puffy ones, but they were twisty and fair to God, they tasted better. And I mean, it's, you know, totally not in my head. They definitely tasted better. Um, and I haven't seen them in ages. So those are like my two favorites. But I mean, I am a very inclusive Cheeto lover. So I love all Cheetos. <laughs> those are my favorite. I want, I want them to bring back the hot Cheetos asteroids, the ones that were just like little balls. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever had those ones. I mean, whenever <sighs> I see new Cheeto branding situation i always get them i love cheetos and canadian <laughs> cheetos are even cheesy cheesier than american cheetos i've discovered so <laughs> i ate a lot of cheetos when i was in canada <laughs> uh my, i think i told you this but my my friend mark um in grad school used to ho he, he was like the life of the party and he like hosted all the parties and every of his every single one of his parties there would be cheeto salad which was just a giant bowl with all of the different kinds of cheetos that you could find tossed up together and it was oh. great it was super popular yeah <laughs> of course it's cheetos <laughs> um okay so then the second half of that question was what would what cheetos would fen oh. choose if she went to earth this season hmm oh that's a man this should have been in my ca character development what kind of cheetos <laughs> would have she went to earth she probably i don't know i think she'd probably like the classic puffy Cheetos. I don't know why mm. that's just my inspiration. I feel like she'd like the classic puffy Cheetos, but like, she's the type that she would just get excited and try all of them and get like really <laughs> overwhelmed, but then keep eating them. I think that's what would happen. <laughs> so we'll have to make her some Cheeto salad. If that happens, <laughs> eat some Cheeto salad. <laughs> I would uh, love, I would love to see Finn on earth. I hope that happens. <laughs> that would be great. Yep. Uh, like the fish out of water, like in, like in Wonder Woman, that would be great. She oh, that well. totally. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would be an adventure. And God, I loved Wonder Woman so much. I cried. I cried during the battle sequences because they were such badass women. I was like, oh no, I'm crying now. <laughs> I think uh, you weren't the only one. How many times did you see it? Uh, I've only seen it once actually. I've been trying to like, I'm a person, I'll watch a movie over and over and over again, but I try to leave a certain amount of time between watching. Yeah. And so it's getting due to watch it again. But I like, mm. I was in love with it and I'm like in love with Gal, Gal Gadot. I think that's how you say her name. She's so incredible. Oh my God. And she's, she's like, she's like the hottest person on the planet. I have such a crush on her. <laughs> and she's like really a badass. She really was she in is. the Israeli special forces, right? Like she really mm -hmm. knows how to fight. It's, she's so... She's a mom. Like, she's so cool. Uh. She is. <laughs>
Anyways, let's some people are some people have have it all. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to throw in one question of my own too, if you don't mind. Um, can you tell us about the movie you worked on this year, The Man from Earth, and um, just tell us a little bit about your character Tara and what she's like, or is it Tara? Uh, you know, it's, it was actually pronounced both ways in the film, so I'm not 100. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, The Man from Earth, uh, Holocene, is the one I was in, and it is the sequel to this science fiction uh, cult hit that came out 10 years ago, The Man From Earth. And it's about this 14,000 year old man who just uh, aged up until like 35, 40. And then um, back in uh, 1400 years ago, 14,000 years ago, sorry. And then just stopped aging. And he's just like made his way through time going through different lives. And so in the second movie that I'm in, he is a college professor at a school in Chico, which is in California. And I am one of his students, Tara or Tara. And yeah, it was this, it was this cool, like indie sci-fi film that I did. I I filmed it actually right before I started the magicians. And, and Tara is like this really complicated young lady. That's had a lot of, a lot of misunderstandings in her life and doesn't know how to express herself and really expresses herself overtly through her sexuality and, and doesn't really know how to balance that. And she like has a huge crush on her professor who she doesn't realize at the beginning is 14,000 years old. So she's really, really the older men. (laughs) Yeah. She was, she was really fun to play. She was really calm. And David, Lee Smith, who plays the man from Earth, um, is an incredible actor. So working with him was was so awesome. He's such a cool guy. Oh, good. I hope we get to see it. I was, I was bummed it wasn't. I, I was bummed I couldn't make it last week, but I got really sick on Friday, so it's probably yeah, good no, I didn't I try. I figured you were out of town. I figured I'd invite you no matter what. But yeah, it came out in limited release in theaters, and um, hopefully it'll come out different places. But I think it's being released on DVD in February. Excellent. I'll look for it then if I if it doesn't come to Bay Area before then. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, is there anything else you've been working on other than other than magicians, other than the Man from Earth? Anything you want to talk about? Anything we should look at? Yeah, well, I have this other film, this horror film called Captured that I did a while ago, and it's hmm. supposed to come out at the end of this year sometime. I played this punk rock singer, which was super fun. I got cool. way more badass than myself in real life. And I uh, had like full chest tattoos, oh, and, which was really fun. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And so that's coming out later this year. And then what else? Just kind of I'm just doing a lot of writing right now, and yeah, just like a lot of writing, trying to exercise. I had all these plans this year of taking sword lessons and jujitsu, and then I broke my shoulder on Christmas Day, Aww. and so I can't do that for a little while. Oh, what are you mm. writing? What, what is it? Are you writing a book? Are you writing like, well, I always, since I was little, I've always written poetry. So I finally started actually That's submitting awesome. my poetry to like literary journals, um, and stuff like that, which is really, really hard, but I started finally doing that. And I'm, I'm also writing, um, a script, but it's just in the very, very beginning process. Well, a couple scripts, but just in the very beginning processes. So very awesome. early on and like short stories and stuff just for fun. That's awesome. Yeah. But another thing I started doing at the end of last year uh, was I'm getting involved with this foundation called Donate Life, which is all about organ transplantation um, and raising awareness and money and all different types of stuff for research and um, just general forward progress with organ transplantation. And they're doing a 5K in April. So I started my own team. And I'm raising money and I have some people joining my, my team for the 5k. And so, yeah, organ transplantation is really important to me because my, my boyfriend James had a heart transplant four and a half years ago and going through that process with him, I realized just how many people need transplants. And if just everybody signed up to be an organ organ donor, which is so easy, it literally takes, you can go online, takes less than a minute. Um, there wouldn't be people who need organs. It's just such a fixable problem. And so I wanted to get more involved with that. So that's another thing that I've been doing with my time. 
And in California, uh, when you go to the DMV to renew your license, you can just get, you can fill it out and get the sticker. And Exactly. You have yeah. to literally go to the DMV and check a box. It is so, so easy. <laughs> I, yeah. I have a friend yep. who donated a kidney through that same foundation oh. through Donate Life. Yeah. <laughs> They're an amazing um, Yeah. It's super cool. And they do a great job of like outreach and um, really working uh, with both donors and the people who are receiving them to make sure that um, that everyone feels like their needs are being met in what is a really scary situation. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. Totally. Um, okay, so uh, we should probably switch over to the episode, but before we dive into it in depth, I want to do a quick plot summary. Uh, so this is what I wrote up really quickly right before here. Okay, on Earth, Quentin, Julia, Josh, and Katie team up to look for Mayakovsky's batteries, which leads them to Emily Greenstreet, a suicidal Professor Lipson, and Alice. Meanwhile, in Fillory, Fenn insists on joining Elliot and Tick uh, as the Munchak journeys to After Island, and the Fairy Queen insists they take on a surprise envoy, Elliot and Fenn's daughter, Frey. So I'll start by asking you, Brittany, what did you think when you read the script and realized what this episode was going to be? I was so excited. Me and Hale had talked a bit last season about when our daughter went away, we, we were like, oh, what's going to happen? Is she going to die? Are we, is there going to be, are we going to have a baby on set next year? Like, are they going to do some like <laughs> aging thing? We had no idea. So when I read that it was the magical aging thing, I was so excited. Um, yeah, I kind of freaked out, and I was really happy for Fen that she actually gets her daughter, um, but in a very complicated, convoluted way with the Fairy Queen. Uh, yeah, so I was, like, super excited, but really curious. I, there was a million ways that it could go, so, yeah, at this point, I still had no clue what was going to happen. Obviously, I know now, but uh, I had no <laughs> clue what was going to happen. How did you, or how do you think that um, the introduction of Frey is going to affect Fenn's relationship with Elliot? Well, I mean, I already know. Give <laughs> 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 it away. Um, but I guess you see, you do see a lot of it in this episode, uh, too, that just aired. I, what it does is it just, it just throws Fenn further into her psychosis and her, because at the end of season two with, with being kidnapped and coming back and finding out that Elliot didn't look for her at all. And that he wasn't very concerned about her or their mm. unborn child. I think what would a lot of times happen with somebody would be pissed and walk out on it because they're like, okay, well clearly um, I'm not a prior me or the unborn child is no yeah. priority to you at all. But because we lost the child, that's what pushed Ben into the psychosis of just no matter what, since I had lost so much wanting to create this family scenario, because mm. other than Fillory being Fen's love, like she just wants a family of her own. And so all of a sudden having Frey, this, the real child, this real person being in her life just throws her further into this, uh, this like, alternate reality of her having the perfect family, which she doesn't have. So I think it just makes me or Fen even more blind to the fact that Elliot isn't really that invested in Fen. Uh, so I think it just, yeah, I think it just makes me more, more blind to that fact and more invested in Elliot where in any other situation, I think she'd be fed up basically. Mm. I love the like stereotypical father slash mother other daughter moments they have like they're just like so excited to say those like go to your room or like behave like <laughs> oh yeah uh, those are some of my favorite parts <laughs> those are really great in this episode for sure yeah no Helen okay. I love the like the the, par the parental moments of telling her to go to her room <laughs> that was so much fun for both of us <laughs> but yeah no I think Ben and Elliot also do bond a little bit more over it hmm. um mm -hmm. Of in this thing together and we both Fen and Elliot both end up becoming incredibly endeared to Frey and so because of that brings us closer together I think but then Elliot also has to deal with this random 16 year old daughter and <laughs> then this crazy ass wife which cannot be easy um, and trying <laughs> to magic so I can't imagine how hard that is for, for our lovely Elliot <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. I think one of my favorite parts of the whole episode is just like when Ben's just like, oh, we're finally a family. And he's just like, where's your fucking 
fucked up enough to be. <laughs> I was like the best. I love that <laughs> so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, do you think that Fen trusts Faye? Frey? <laughs> Uh, I do think Fen trusts Frey. I think she does. I think Fen has to trust Frey or else she'll just completely, completely go to a whole new level of, um, of insanity. Yeah. I think she's going to trust Frey, whether she really thinks she can or she can't. I think she has no, she thinks she has no option. I don't think she looks at it that way. I just think she thinks this is our daughter. This is my decision. And there's, there's nothing like I, I won't go back on that. Yeah, I think she does, which obviously it's still um, in his right mind. So he's still being a little bit more savvy about it than than Fen is. Do you think that's hard yeah. for her that Elliot doesn't trust their daughter? Yeah, I think I think it is hard for Fen because she just wants everything to be perfect and she wants everything to like fit in their perfect little boxes, which obviously it's not. Um, but again, because... Ben is so in denial about so many things. I think it's easier for her to brush over the fact that Elliot still doesn't fully trust it. Hmm. Yes, we should move on. We should cover some stuff that takes place on Earth, too. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think I asked you our standard question yet, Danny, which I normally do at the top of the show. So, um, Danny, what did you think of this episode? What stood out to you? I loved this episode. It was kind of... It was a really great ensemble. Like, uh, I'll talk about it more when we get to like the MVP section. Um, but everyone was just like at their best. I think it was a really funny episode, and I I love the funny episodes. Uh, minus some very like deeper moments. Um, I thought it was interesting to see uh, Quentin dealing with. Professor Lipson, um, mm. and I know a lot of there was a lot of flack on the internet for that actually about in the previews because they show that potentially happening and people were like, oh, I don't think Quentin should be um, dealing with someone potentially killing themselves just because of his own like depression, his triggers. But, but I thought it was actually handled very well. Um, like he handled it well, and I thought it. Like, I really liked his, like, just his side quip about basically, like, oh, like, that's the nearest building. Like, I thought about killing myself. Like, it just felt very real. Like, that's, like, kind of something that I know a lot of people who have contemplated suicide would probably say. <laughs> so, well, I really like that part. And I think to your point about him, um, like, people saying that he shouldn't be the one who is talking her down, he shouldn't be the one in that situation in a lot of ways he's he's the person who's most equipped to handle that situation because he he truly empathizes and knows where she's been and i think you mm -hmm. you see that right he's he says a couple things that really make her like those are the things that bring her back the the thing about the dying raging against the dying of the light there's one other thing that was like a little bit earlier in that scene but where it's clear that like he knows how she feels and she recognizes that and mm -hmm. i don't know if that would work as well with somebody who hadn't felt those same things. Yeah. Um, I, I also really enjoyed in this episode seeing Julia and Quentin repair their, like starting to repair their friendship and mm -hmm. finding that equilibrium again. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you mentioned this in the last episode too, but uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the scene with the sex magic, which I know seems like a weird place to talk about, like, oh, there was so much empathy and friendship here. I actually, like that stuck out to me in part because Quentin's had this crush on Julia for pretty much as long as he's known her and he could have just been a jealous dick but he wasn't he just was he was just kind of kind to her like when he pulls her away it doesn't seem like it's out of a jealousy thing it seems like it's out of a like are you sure this is what you want to be doing thing and then they like go they snap back to being friends again instead of him like yelling at her like he would have in season one <laughs> yeah I I think their relationship's really growing. Um, a lot of their relationships are. Like, they're getting closer to Josh, which I really like, because I love Josh. Yeah. I, love I adore him. Josh. Trevor Einhorn is so amazing. He's so fun. <laughs> so heartful. Just so happy that he's on the show a bunch this season. Yeah. <laughs> I was really happy when they announced you both to be a series regulars. I was just like, yes. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I 
was so excited. I was excited for both of us because I just love Trevor so much. <laughs> Our, um, I guess this is a tiny spoiler, but will you and he get to get to be paired up at any point during the season? I can't say it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, no spoilers. Got it. <laughs> well, so tell me, tell me something. I don't know really how all the behind the scenes stuff work. Are you, um, were you on set for any of the scenes that you're not in on Earth for this episode? For this episode? Yeah. Not for this episode, no. But um, I don't think I was. I mean, sometimes I'd randomly on, be on set for like a few minutes. There is um, one really cool scene with Jade that's coming up uh, that I specifically like came to set that day to uh, to watch. And to be there with her. So, like, that day I actually came and just hung out for hours um, and drank a lot of espresso and had so much fun. <laughs> are, uh, the, um, are the two, like, the Fillory set and, like, the Earth set, like, really far away from each other? Uh, no, some of the sets are probably about 20 yards away from each other. Oh, okay. The Mind Jack is literally the next stage over from the physical kid's cottage. <laughs> oh, wow. But then, you should like sneak in there and get some uh, <laughs> oh, totally. fake spoiler shots for your Instagram. Absolutely, yeah. But then the throne room is in a totally different part. It's a, it is it is like 15 minutes away. It's not on a soundstage, like 15 minutes away. So the throne room <laughs> is kind of like in its own little world. And then mm-hmm. uh, like in the show kind of. But yeah, no, I lo- our sets are so cool because they're so magical. And you just walk through, you're in this beautiful cottage. Then you're in a boat. Then you're in Dean Fogg's office. It's I love it. The inside of the Muntjac is so beautiful. Holy shit. Oh, my God. It's so incredible. Yeah, our production um, designer, Margot Reddy, just did the most incredible job. And there's just so much detail. And, like, when you're on the Muntjac and we're actually filming, so all the lights are on and everything is lit and, like, it's swaying. Like, the lights are swaying back and forth. Like, it really Mm. feels like you're on this magical, like, pirate ship which I just pretend I really am in, in real life. And uh, just the detail, like, that you'll never see on screen is just so, and, like, the deer theme, because the Munchak is a deer-class ship, and if you look on the show, like, you notice that there's a lot of deer aesthetic in the boat, and it's, oh, God, it's just, I could I just, like, go in and, like, hang out sometimes and just kind of look around and look at the books. It's so cool. Oh, it seems really cool. It looks, uh, I know that, like, I think it was Chris Fisher who like started set, like Instagramming pictures of that way early in the summer. And then like a month later, somebody was like, we can finally announce it for real. And it's like, we've all seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, I was like, did he post another picture of the Munchak? <laughs> he posted so many. And then there was this big announcement that it, that it was like, oh, we're going on the Munchak. Everybody knows. Like, uh, <laughs> we, we know. We've known. <laughs> but it is. It's really beautiful. And um, all the shots of it, I mean, the outside shots and the indoor shots are just all really spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's a really great ship. When, when we shoot on the real ship, though, like out on the water, I had to bring so much. I was like really like a mom when we went out on this ship. I had ginger gum. I had Dramamine. <laughs> I had ginger shots. I had five different things that I was like peddling to people. I was like, Olivia, do you want a ginger shot? And you know, I, I was just like the mom that goes into a theme park with a fanny pack with literally an entire pharmacy ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> smart. That's smart. good. It was I always related. I always forget that kind of stuff whenever I go anywhere. Like I was at um Universal and like all of the rides are like basically like, you know, 3D Slash, like moving around violently, and I was just like, I'm getting so motion sick. <laughs> yeah, you forget. Yeah. You forget that'll happen, but oh, it happens. Yeah, I can't. I mean, if you if you if you get seasickness and you had to be filming on that for months at a time, I'm I'm sure everyone was really grateful to have your fanny pack. <laughs> and I only get seasick like 25 percent of the time I'm ever on a boat, but like I just don't want it to be the time I'm filming on a boat. So yeah. <laughs> That, yeah. that wouldn't be a fun DVD extra. <laughs> Not a fun DVD extra at all, no. <laughs> uh, so the other thing I want to talk about in this episode uh, is that the animation sequence is just gorgeous. And um, I, I just kept thinking, like, where did this come from? So, uh, Brittany, do you know where it came from? 
I don't know. I wish I uh, had <laughs> that before I came on this interview. That would have been really fun and anecdotal for me to. Uh, it reminded. It reminded me a lot of the the Harry Potter one from the Deathly yeah. Hallows, Tale of the Three Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of that too. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was some some inspiration. Um, yeah, no, I have, I don't, I don't know where it came from. I don't, it was really creative. Well, I know that like, obviously the tale of the seven keys came from the book from Lev's, uh, books. If um, I remember yeah. correctly though, it's, so it's very different. Right? It's very yeah. different. It's very different. Yeah. They ended up like taking the inspiration from Lev and then kind of molding it into something with a new life. Um, but oh yeah, I was so excited. That was one of my favorite part of the books was the tale of the seven keys and like the lore behind that. And cause I love, I love mythology in general. And so, uh, reading that felt very mythical and I was so psyched when they, when they, when we got to do it on the show. So, um, I watched the sequence a few times, uh, and I watched it like a few more times this morning and I have a, I have a crackpot theory that I want to air about it. So yeah. Brittany, I'm going to explicitly say like, don't comment on this. <laughs> I <will. laughs> if there's spoilers, we don't want to know if there's not spoilers. I don't want to know I'm wrong yet. Like <laughs> I woke up, I woke up to like 20 text messages from Clara <laughs> that was just like this theory. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm just going to say for the record that I sent those text messages at one thirty. So. Hey, uh, hey. <laughs> I woke up at like round one. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, I'm still slightly sick, so that's why. Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> um, but okay, so he, here it is. Here's my crackpot theory. And uh, like I said, don't say anything. I think Fen is going to be the knight's daughter in this version of the tale. And I have a lot of evidence about why. Um, so first off, her dad is a blade maker, um, and, uh, that he's, so he's not actually a knight, but, like, that is something that has to do with, like, knighthood. Like, blades are really important in that. Um, and in the animation sequence, uh, there's this cool part where, like, all of the keys circle around to form the image on the front of the book. Um, but right before that, you see the same thing happen with seven swords. So it seems like they're pretty important. Um, and as it turns out, like, Fen's knowledge as a sword maker's daughter is pretty critical to getting the first key. Okay, so that's point one. Still with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> point two. I answer, uh, but yes, I'm with you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Point two. Um, this one is small, but the dress that the daughter wears in the animation sequence looks a lot like something Fen would wear. And one thing that I noticed in this episode, which we'll get to more in fashion, is that her style is actually pretty unusual, even within Fillory. Most of the villagers on After Island are wearing sturdier clothes. Um, Frey also wears like sturdier clothes and more sort of pant style and um, more sort of warrior style. Um, and while the other castle staff definitely dress a little more like royalty, that like gentle, billowing, flowing dress with minimal embellishment, that like that kind of stuff that Fen wears, it's pretty rare. And that's what it looks like the daughter is wearing in the animation sequence. Okay, ready for three? Yes. Okay. I have been thinking about why the story isn't in the book from the beginning. And like, it, it could just be like a magic trope, like they say, that like, oh, it unfolds uh, magically because quests don't give you everything um, that you need from the beginning. But, but it could actually be that it's being written as they go. And since Fen is the one to suggest the Munchak and she insists on joining Elliot to find the key and the fairy queen does too, it seems like it's really important that Fen is there Maybe that's because she has to be the one to like sail on the ship to unlock the next part of it. Okay. Um, and one more piece of evidence. In the promotional materials, each of the main characters has a key that's associated with them. So there's, it, it seems like the keys do get mixed up a little bit, but in the standalone pictures, um, there's like a key, like each person has one key that's associated with them. Now that key, a couple of them have more than one person and Fens is one of them, but Fen's key is the last one in the sequence on that like circle of keys on front of the book and in um, the animation sequence. The first one is the ram's head, which is the first one they find, and that's like Elliot's, I think. Um, Fen's is that one that like looks like a spade in a deck of cards, but with a bunch of line through it, so it's like cut into six sections. Um, so uh, that uh, like the other person who you see that with, like when there's another, the only other standalone image that has that key in it is Quentin's. 
Um, and uh, I'm not going to say that that, I don't know that that does anything to help my theory, but I don't think it disproves it because Quentin is kind of like the center of everything. Um, okay. And then my last thing isn't a piece of evidence, but I wondered if the castle in the animation is Castle Blackspire. So, Brittany, you don't get to talk about this, but Danny, I want to know what you think. <laughs> um, I definitely <laughs> haven't watched it enough to, to lend forth to your crackpot theory. <laughs> um, I think it would be really cool if they gave a twist like that just because um, the character who ends up being so critical is like the first person they run into on after Island, um, mm -hmm. in the actual book. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it plays a big role, but it would be really cool if, uh, Fenn's character had very deep roots. Um, I don't know if I believe your theory, but I think it would be <laughs> cool if it was true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally fair. I mean, there's definitely an element of like wishful thinking to this, but, but, it's not that crazy. Th those things are real. They exist. <laughs> she is a blade maker's daughter. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so before we go to fashion, I, I want to ask, too, uh, about other things. We didn't actually talk that much about Earth. So, like, there's the whole thing where, Jay, uh, where Katie and Josh go out to, like, dinosaurs. find... Yeah, dinosaurs, right? <laughs> I wanted um, to see it. I wanted to see the dinosaur. I'm kind of disappointed. I think you see like a tiny bit of its tail or something in there at yeah. the end, but yeah, definitely not enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to see uh, the dinosaur too. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I definitely want to ask Brittany about, even though you're not in this in this part of the show, uh, as a cat mom, how did you feel about the exploding kittens? Uh, I was so mad. I was so <laughs> sad. I was just glad it wasn't a real cat, like in real in reality. Um, <laughs> I really hate cats on this show. Last season, we got the thing oh. with Reynard. Oh, that like grossed me out to the max. Oh, that God. was gross. <laughs> I still hate watching that scene because of it. Uh, because how gross it is and how realistic it looked. But no, it really bummed me out with the cat. And like, I, I, I liked, you know, um, uh, Olivia, <laughs> Alice's, <laughs> I loved Alice's survival instinct, you know. But I felt bad that a cat had to die for it. But then the line, the which you know, the cat exploded, which you know happens sometimes, or whatever the line was. was so <laughs> yeah. <funny>. So <laughs> no, bum me out because like I'm obsessed with my cat. I actually had a nightmare the other day that she got run over by a car, oh, no. and I like woke up in a cold sweat, and it was the most horrifying nightmare of my life. And so the idea of something happening to a cat makes me sad because I am a crazy cat lady. Yeah, um, I will say I if you that. if you don't follow um, Brittany's cat's Instagram, you really should. Uh, what what's the handle again? It's the, the the handle I think is Duchess of Meowington. Her full name is Lady Persbury, Duchess of Meowington. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> um, that's she amazing. Went, she went from being a cat abandoned on the side of the street to owning lands and titles. So she's you know she's really worked her way up in the world. I think that's uh, so beautiful. I think your cat needs to follow my cat on Instagram. What's your cat's Instagram? It's a uh, Dobby the house cat, Dobby except house, house is spelled without an E. Oh my god, that is so cute. Okay, cool. I think Duchess and Dobby have to be friends, and I <laughs> Dobby and Harry Potter, so <laughs> happy. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we should move on to fashion. Uh, which we'll do shortly. <laughs> but at the end of this, I definitely want to see, is, is Duchess there right now? Yeah, actually, Duchess is here. She's in the other room right now, so I'll, I, okay. can, I can grab her later. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the episode. Uh, she's so adorable. <laughs> okay, cool. Fashion. Hi. Uh, this episode has a lot of fashion in it. So uh, first, I just want to talk about Frey's outfit, both because I think it is stunning and also like very different from the other kinds of Florian outfits that we've seen. Um, and, uh, it looks like, uh, my husband was saying it kind of looks like an elevated version of something that you would have seen in Aladdin. Mm. Um, and it's, Point. it's really beautiful. And I know that like, I know that, um, that Magali puts a lot of thought into them and I, I've been trying to suss out like what that tells us about Frey's character. Yeah. Um, any hints? Um, no, I can't. Well, you know, I mean, because her character's been raised as a as a fairy, 
And so I actually originally thought that Frey was going to be dressed as a fairy. Um, yeah. With the yeah, netting yeah. and that, you know, all that amazing fairy um, aesthetic. But no, she's she's definitely tough, though. Like, she's definitely a tough young young lady. And I feel like the... I mean, I feel like part of her outfit kind of looks a little little warrior-like. And, like, yeah. it's kind of stiff. Um, like you said, like, the actual fabric itself. Um, but it still kind of has this, like, ethereal thing to it. And is shiny and, like, pretty and otherworldly kind of in the way that the fairies are. And, but, yeah, no, in terms of hints, that's pretty much it. I'm trying to think of anything else. It reminds me a little of something like Arya Stark would wear, except for oh, totally. like when she was still when she was still a princess before she before all the bad shit happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. When she like before she ran away from Night's Landing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that. The other big one that stood out for me, um, other than Fen's outfits, which uh, I, I already mentioned how that fits into my crackpot theory, uh, <laughs> um, was m- what Margot's wearing is the Munchak is setting off because she's got this like, she looks like she's dressed like a military general, which, it, which is so appropriate for Margot, but she's got this like black military jacket or cape maybe with like yeah. the brass buttons on it. It is so gorgeous. It is amazing. And I think that really echoes uh Margot coming into her, it, it, I'll, I'll just say this generally, because um, it could mean a lot of different things, but kind of coming into her power, um, mm-hmm. and whether that means as a woman, as a ruler, as a whatever, but like I think it really echoes that part of Margot, which I love, and I think Summer just totally nails this season. I love it. Yeah. But I can't, yeah. because I obviously, I don't know much about other people's wardrobe as much as my own. Um, but I can say about Ben's wardrobe that if you look closely, um, more this season and especially like that velour velvet, um, dress that I wore on the Munt Jack, I mean, part of it was medieval Mm. with like the cut and everything, but some of the fabrics in some of the, um, uh, I don't know, just the, the look of my costume kind of has, uh, and you'll see it more again, uh, has a 1920s vibe to it. And oh yeah. Yeah, and Mogli did that on purpose, um, kind of like that roaring twenties, um, like coming into your coming into yourself and being a more you know empowered woman and, and being not so rigid and actually um, letting loose a little bit, and so that starts to mirror. I mean, that Fen grows through a lot this season, but like coming into your like womanly into your womanhood and your femininity and your power. Um, like the roar and twenties thing is a bit of a theme for Fen to this season. And I got to wear all those amazing costumes. Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to get to see Fen in a flapper dress. Oh Oh my God. That would be cool. Although they're like flapper esque things, but yeah, no, that'd be cool. Full on flapper dress would be awesome. (laughs) I don't, I had a really cool idea for like a Halloween or like a cosplay once where I was going to turn like the Catwoman outfit into like a 1920s thing. And I still haven't done it. Oh, that's cool. That would be awesome. (laughs) Love that idea. Yeah. Like a masquerade mask instead of like. Oh, yeah. Another thing. That would be so cool. I love that. One day. (laughs) (laughs) Um Fashion-wise, I I have to point out that I loved what Julia was wearing. Of course you do, I every single time. Wearing, <laughs> wearing it was like, she just always wears, like, these beautiful, like, black-on-black, like, tight pants, like, you oh, know, yeah. um, crop top, heels. She just always looks, and she was wearing this, like, red, like, leather jacket at some point, too, during the episode that I loved. I just always she had a steal. white. She had a white crop top with, like, the mock turtleneck at some point in this episode. Yeah. Which I noticed because it's not black. I just love Julia's wardrobe and want to steal it at all times. Yeah, I do, too. She has some really cool blazers this season, too, that look with, like, skinny jeans. Mm -hmm. And just look so amazing on her. I love her wardrobe, too. So we, we actually ask most of our guests, like, whose wardrobe would you steal? Would it be Julia's? Would it be somebody else's? I would... Well, I totally steal Fen's wardrobe just because I want to be a princess in real life. And 
that's what she is, and I like her princess clothes. But in terms of, like, real-life clothes, I would probably steal probably Julius. Yeah, I would say. Or <laughs> Elliot, like a feminine version of Elliot's, like, break bills attire. Like the, you know, the collared shirts and the prints. Oh, yeah. I, like, I in the vest, like, I like that. Like, a more, like, a feminine version of that would be really cool, too. That's the most common answer, regardless of gender of the guest, is, is Elliot's outfits. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's Hillary stuff. Everything is like so beautifully Elliot. I love it. Uh uh-huh. Okay. Um, so anything else for fashion or is that it? I think that's it. All right. So then it is time for MVPs. And Danny, I'll give you a chance to pick an MVP of your own. But I have to say that, that Brittany, I really think you are my MVP for this episode. Um, there is so much range for you to cover. And it, I mean... In a way, there weren't that many scenes that you were in, but every single one of them was packed a huge punch. Um, and that, like the log lady thing, it's a bit and it's played for laughs, but it has this really poignant. What you said when you were telling us about how you were, um, how you called your therapist and like did this therapy session, that really comes through in there, right? Like you can see all these. There's so much nuance in that performance. You can see all of the like layers of of emotional trauma that she's trying to process all at once. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I really liked it. I really liked everything about your performance and yeah, you're my MVP this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Danny, who's yours? Um, like I was saying earlier in the episode that it's like a really good ensemble episode. I was gonna, you know, pick the, the bitch answer and just say everybody because everybody <laughs> did an amazing job. I honestly couldn't like pick out any anyone like that stood out like a lot more than anyone else. Yeah, it was it, a great ensemble episode. It is it is a really big uh one with everyone. Um and there's uh the first episode of the season was kind of like that too. There was just like a lot of ensemble cast moments. Mm-hmm. Um that too. Like there's there's a lot of unusual pairings this whole season that I don't think people would expect, but mm-hmm. when, it, when they come together, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and ends up leading to these elements of our characters that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see with, with, without that pairing, I don't think. And like, we kind of bring out these parts of each other. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, there's a lot of teaming up this season. That's really awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm so like, excited I'm to talk about it, but like, I'm so excited for everybody to see yeah, I'm so excited. So, Brittany, if you had to pick someone as an MVP for this episode, and you, obviously you can't pick yourself because I'm not going to make you do that, uh, who would you pick? <laughs> I'll say my MVP for the episode, and I feel like this is really biased since he's my husband, but I'm going to say <laughs> Elliot <laughs> because he starts the, the quest and the journey and gets on the boat and then takes a, um, you know, risks his life basically to find out if the shadow bat is real. And even though it was like a team effort and Frey realizing that they're not the right markings to be a shadow bat, like Elliot's the one that ultimately fully risks his life. And so I'll have to say, I'll have to say Elliot for this one. All right. (laughs) Good choice. Um, Yeah. I mean, honestly, is Hale ever a bad choice for, (laughs) I love man so much. Um, okay, so now we're into ratings. Um, Danny, why don't you start us off? Um, I think I'm going to go for like an 8 out of 10. <laughs> I think you're doing the same thing I did, because I was going to go for an 8 out of 10 too, because it's like, this is such a good episode, but I also know, I know that it like keeps ramping up from here, and i got to save <laughs> some room. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to rate it, right? No, I won't make you it. I mean, you can if you want to, but uh, I, I understand it's really hard when you're in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's able to. <laughs> I think it's a really solid episode, but uh, I, I gotta like leave some room. I know what's coming. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Um, it's like a good jumping off point for sure. Yeah. Well, I think then that's that's everything we have. And any final points before I uh, lead us out? Uh, no, I'm just excited for everybody to, to see what happens. It's such an adventure, like a true adventure this season. And I just, as a fan myself of the show and of the books, it was such, such fun for me to be a part of. 
quest, 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 quest. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brittany. It is a pleasure as always to our listeners. Thank you for your wonderful questions and for joining us for season three. Seriously, you had so many great questions. Uh, Keep it up all this season. Uh, I want to have this problem where I have to cut them down every single time. Um, Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. The more positive ratings we get, the higher we show up in search results, which means more fans can find us and hear interviews with people like the lovely Brittany Curran. Um, so as, as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. 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 Mind slide.